This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 51. There's a parable told by Jesus in the Gospel of Luke that illustrates the importance of approaching God with a humble, repentant heart rather than approaching Him, trusting in any righteousness of our own. It's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It can be found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. The story begins with two men who both go to the temple to pray. One is a well-respected Pharisee. The other is a despised tax collector. Jesus contrasts the way that each of these men pray. The Pharisee prayed first, like this. God, thank you that I'm not like these sinners, liars, adulterers, unjust, or even like this tax collector. And then, while he's talking to the all-knowing God, uh, he describes just how righteous he is. He says, I fast twice a week. I tithe 10% of every dollar I make to the church. Okay, the scene ends. And now the scene cuts over to the tax collector. He stands separated from the rest of the people all by himself. Uh, His shame is so heavy on him, he can't even lift his eyes. He just beats his breast with guilt. The only words he can force out of his mouth are, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Two different men, two very different types of prayers. Jesus then surprises his audience, this group of self-righteous people, Luke says, when he says that only one of those men went home justified that day. Only one went home made right with God. It was the one who knew the depth of his need for mercy. Last week, as we opened our series on Psalm 51, entitled, Create in Me a Clean Heart, I told the story behind this remarkable song. A story that, by the way, checks every box on the list of this Pharisee. Things that he's glad he's not like. David is all of those things. Uh, He committed adultery. He lied to cover up his sin. He was completely unjust in the way that he murdered noble Uriah and then took Bathsheba for himself. That was the story. And like these two men... In the parable that Jesus told, there are different ways that we might react to that story, this scandalous story. Some of us might be tempted to parade our self-righteousness before God and perhaps pray something like this, God, I thank you that I've never sinned as bad as David. I know I've got some misdemeanors on my record, but no felony like that. Or maybe I'm I'm glad that I'm not as big a sinner as my brother-in-law or some of my colleagues at work. I never miss a Sunday worship service. I give 10% of all my income to the church. 
self-righteous. But others may have been exposed by the light of God's word and realized that like David, they too are sinners. Maybe they've sinned in different ways, but they don't need to be convinced of their need for the mercy of God. The heart of the self-righteous person approaches God based on their performance. The heart of the humble person approaches God on the basis of his mercy alone. Have you embraced the fact that your acceptance before God is based not on your performance, but on the righteousness of Christ? Have you accepted that fact yet? We began our study of Psalm 51 exploring genuine repentance of sin. When God's word exposed David's sin, his eyes were opened. But rather than blame shifting or excuse making, he felt conviction, deep sorrow and contrition over his sin. And that led him to confess his sin to the Lord. David was transformed. We saw it before our eyes last week. From a calloused sinner to a penitent man. In Psalm 51, verses 6 through 9, where we'll be today, the prayer of David moves from confession to earnest consecration. His desire is to be holy. And these verses contain, there's no way around it, a serious diagnosis of sin, along with this heartfelt plea. For sin's only cure, for the Lord to cleanse the stain of sin and its consequence. And from the heart of this passage beats the prayer, God, make me whiter than snow. We'll focus our attention on two aspects. First, the sinner's condition in verses 5 and 6. And then second, the sinner's petition in verses 7 through nine. Would you stand with me as we read together these verses from God's holy word? Psalm 51, verses six, I'm sorry, verses five to nine. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom. In the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. The first aspect we come to is the sinner's condition, verses 5 and 6. The double behold that begins both verses seeks to grab our attention, to make us wise about the reality of sin. These words sound like those of a careful physician after they've evaluated the severity of a person's condition. The doctor makes the proper diagnosis, even if... It's something that the patient doesn't want to hear. It's often said that the gospel is bad news before it's 
good news because of how we must diagnose the desperate and sinful condition of all mankind before a remedy is provided. It's not pleasant, but it is true. And the first reality of this diagnosis is that we are sinners from the start. We are sinners from the start. Verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now David traces the origins of his sinfulness, first to the moment of his birth, and then beyond that, all the way back to the moment of his conception. Now, just to be clear, David's not insinuating anything malicious about his mama, all right? Nor is he excusing any of his actions, claiming like our culture today does, that he was just born this way. No, in the opening five verses of the psalm, David took complete responsibility for his sin. He admitted that what he'd done was inexcusable. He even calls it evil in the sight of God. So now he's clarifying his problem is not just skin deep. The problem of sin courses through his blood. David explains theologically just how guilty he is by acknowledging his humanity, by acknowledging his fallenness, what we know is the doctrine of total depravity. From birth, he has been a sinner in need of God's salvation. But the diagnosis gets worse before it gets better. The second aspect of the human condition is that we are sinners from the heart. This is what we learn in verse 6. It says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now, in professing God's intent for a heart that pleases the Lord and delights in truth, David knows that his heart has not reflected God's initial desire. His inward being did not delight in truth. His secret heart didn't walk in wisdom, instead secretly tried to cover up its sin. And what the backstory of this psalm in view, it, 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 it features easily identifiable exterior sins. That's what the backstory of this psalm shows us. Easily identifiable exterior sins like adultery and murder, but there's a deeper problem than just the exterior. His problem goes all the way to the heart. With every phrase, Psalm 51 is concerned with the heart of the matter. The point is, the heart is the battleground where the war of sin is fought. The heart is the battleground where the war of sin is fought. David knows his sin flows from a spring that has long been poisoned. David was a sinner from the start, and he is a sinner from the heart. And this is not true only of David. This is where the diagnosis comes to you and me this morning. It's also true of us. We are sinners from the start and sinners to the heart. And what we need is a Savior. The Apostle Paul explains why it is that every person is born in sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, like this. He says, Therefore, 
Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the scripture is teaching that we are not good people who need God's help to get better. We are people dead in our sins who need God to make us alive. This is the sinner's condition. So then, what is the sinner's cure? What is the sinner's cure? What I want to do now is show you two visual aids to help us understand our need. The first picture is one that may be incredibly familiar to many of you. It's known as the bridge illustration. On one side is a sinful person. On the other side is the holy God. And there's no way to cross the great divide between the sinful person and the holy God. Mankind cannot reach God by keeping enough rules or by doing enough good deeds. And so God, out of love, sent His one and only Son in our place who lived and died so that we might be reconciled to God. The only way from our condition of sin to the presence and restored fellowship with the Holy God is through the work of Jesus, through the cross that's then drawn to bridge the divide between God and man. And this is so helpful. If you're feeling even right now in view of what we're talking about, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. How do I get to a holy God? The only way is through Jesus Christ. You need to hear that loud and clear. We'll talk more about that. And this is very helpful as long as we understand that the cross is not something that we move on from, but something that you and I need continually. And so here I want to show you a second visual aid called the cross chart. And what this is meant to help us understand, is specifically for Christians, is then how we grow in the gospel. What this shows is that the appointed moment in your life, God saved you by his grace, and you came to repentant faith in Jesus. And then as you grow in your understanding of what God has done for you through the goodness of the gospel, you're growing in your understanding both of God's holiness... That's the top part of that pie chart. And then also of your sinfulness. You see, when we first come to Christ, we understand that the cross is the only way. And the cross is meaningful. It's our only hope. But then as you and I grow, I think about the words of John Newton, a holy man who at the end of his life said, I'm dying, my mind is fading. These two things I remember. I am a great sinner. God is a great Savior. And you see how as we grow in Christ... We grow in our experience of understanding his holiness and understanding our sinfulness. And what happens is the cross is magnified. The mercy and grace that were showed to us on the cross become more and more beautiful and believable to us. And even though Jesus had not come at the time when David wrote Psalm 51, he had trusted by faith in the word of God and the coming Messiah. He'd been saved by God's grace. And I think it's safe to say that as he writes this song, he has a greater understanding of God's holiness and a renewed understanding of his sinfulness. And in this moment, God's mercy seems bigger to him than ever. 
This is something that I pray happens in our lives as we look at Psalm chapter 51. That our eyes might be opened wider to the reality of the perfection of God's holiness. And also the reality of the depth of our need for His mercy. And that we would treasure Christ and revel in His grace like never before. So we've seen the sinner's condition as well as Scripture's remedy for it. The second point I want us to consider is the sinner's petition in verses 7 to 9. So against the backdrop of the verses we've looked at already this morning, we know David understands his sin nature and how the root of it reaches all the way down to his heart. He's been convicted, felt contrition, led to confession. Now he asks something of God that just seems audacious to me. If you don't see that, you don't see the holiness of God. It's audacious what he's asking. The adultering murderer comes before the holy God and says, will you forgive me? There are six specific petitions listed, things that David asks. I'm going to categorize them, though, under three headings, three pleas of petition. The first plea from David's heart is, cleanse me from my sin. The request is literally that God would de-sin David. Unsin me. The reference to hyssop there is no small matter. Hyssop is a plant that grows wild in the Judean countryside. It springs up between rocks and in the crevices of walls. It's used in the history of, of Israel in significant ways. You'll probably remember this first one. In the final plague that God sends upon the Egyptians. Uh, Exodus 12, 22. All of Israel is instructed to take a bunch of hyssop to dip it in the blood of the lamb that had been slaughtered in their place and then to wipe it on the doorpost and on the doorframe of each home. The blood was the symbol that a sacrifice had been made in place of the firstborn child of that house. And then the angel of death would pass over the home. Hyssop is then used in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 4, to ceremonially cleanse a person who had a skin disease. Again, in Numbers 19, 18, to wash someone before God who had become unclean by touching a dead body. And here stands David, a man who remembered the exodus and knew he needed his sins to be passed over. The king familiar with ceremonial law, knowing he needs to be made clean. One who had not come into contact with a dead body personally, but is utterly responsible that one lays in the dust of Israel. And David holds his filthy hands out and says, God, cleanse me. Purify me, cleanse me with blood, wash me so that I can come safely into your presence once again. I must be clean. The second plea is let me know joy again. We see this in verse 8 and we're going to spend more time on this next week as it, this, this theme appears in verse 12. For today let's just 
briefly explore the metaphor that David uses. When you have a bone that is broken, it aches until it is healed. If you have multiple bones that are broken in your body, your suffering is multiplied. You're miserable until the process of healing is underway. David is asking God from the brokenness of his soul to let it begin to rejoice again. He's under severe agony, pain for the brokenness that he's caused, from the brokenness within him. His heart is heavy under the weight of guilt. It's crushing him. And he wants to hear the word of God again bring joy and gladness to his heart. So just hold that thought. We'll pick up right there next Sunday. The third plea from David's heart is, forgive me for my sin. And as we arrive at verse 9, where we see that theme, we reach the end of the first part of this entire psalm. We've reached the end of the first part of Psalm 51, where the emphasis has focused primarily on repentance. Starting in verse 10, the focus will shift to things like salvation and renewal and restoration, the reasons we come to Psalm 51. But the only way to get from repentance to renewal is through restoration. That's the only way there. David's repenting of sin. He wants renewal, and he knows to get there, he must be restored to fellowship with God. To say it in another language, he must be forgiven. And so David asks the God of steadfast love, the God of abundant mercy, to fully pardon and to forgive, to hide his sin from his sight, to cast it into a sea without bottom or shore. He asked that God would blot out his sin. Here the metaphor shifts to this, uh, this image of, of ink and eraser. David's sinful actions have been recorded on the timeline of life. He's looking for control Z, control Z, to undo that. But he realizes there is no way for him to undo what he'd done. But he knows one who can blot out his sin as if it never happened. Notice the request is not just for a specific sin. It's not even for some of his sins. But for all my sin. One sin left between David and his God would be too much for him to bear. God, wash me clean. Wash me of all my sin. Now, we've got to ask the question, how can a holy God forgive someone who sinned as grievously, grievously as David? Don't you think Uriah's mom would like to see David pay for some of his sin? Please turn with me in your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, which I believe is one of the most important paragraphs in the entire Bible, if not the most important. And here, what we're going to see is that God would answer David's petition. He's going to answer that plea. Ultimately, he will answer it in the sending of his son. 
Read with me. Romans 3, beginning in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what we just learned in verse 5, wasn't it? But here we continue. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Propitiation just means uh, to, that He would die instead of the sinner. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. How can God be righteous and forgive David's sin? This is how. Because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time. So He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Guys, God didn't just let David off the hook. That's not what's happening here. Rather, in the fullness of time, great David's greater son, Jesus Christ, was sent by the Father who lived a perfect and sinless life and died a perfect sinner's death so that David's sins might be paid for in full. That's how that happened. So here's another question. So how can a holy God forgive a room full of sinners who've sinned as badly as we have? Well, in the fullness of time, God so loved sinners that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So let me speak to those of you who are outside of Christ right now and you know it. Dear sinner, the only thing you have to do today is to call upon Jesus Christ to save you, to plead with God these very petitions. Cleanse me from my sin. Give me the joy that comes only from being restored to fellowship with God. And forgive me for everything that I've done. Call upon Christ. His heart will rush to you and bring full forgiveness, complete atonement, no matter how dark your sin may be. And for each of us who are in Christ, to continue to practice this as we grow in our understanding of God's holiness and the depth of our need, to continue to pray with David as we come to this confession of sin each week in our service, or face to face with God's holiness, and not to believe the lie of the enemy, to trust in anything that we've done, but to throw ourselves completely on the mercy of Christ, to resist the Pharisee that lives in all of us, that tries to self-justify, and instead to humble ourselves like the penitent man in humility before the God of all grace. And for those of you who are in Christ but battle the shame that sin brings, to remember when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, upward look and see him there who made an end to all your sin. Completely forgiven. It's too good to be true, isn't it? And absolutely true. There's a pastor in London in the 19th century who had a, a man that he knew 
that grew up outside of the church, never having been taught of Christ, uh, never heard the good news of the gospel. He was well on into years when he grew sick and nearing death. He had a granddaughter that lived in the next town over, and he asked that she would come over in his final days and spend time with him. The man began to feel uneasy about the idea of death and the uncertainty that awaited him. And he asked his granddaughter to read the Bible to him. And she did, day after day. But as she read Scripture, the old man felt a growing sense of guilt well up in his conscience. And then one day, she came to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, which says this, The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. She read that aloud. Is that there? The old man said. Yes, grandfather, replied the little girl. Then read it again. Read it again, he said. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He stops her again. He says, my dear, is is it there just like that? Yes, grandfather, the girl answered. Just like that. Then read it again. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. He then asked her to take his finger and put it on that verse. He asked, is it on the text, my child? Is my finger on that blessed text? Yes, grandfather. And the man says, tell them all that I die in the faith of that. And he closed his eyes and went to be with the Lord. I wonder if you have a hard time believing that the blood of Jesus can cleanse you of your sin. No matter what you've done, let this announcement ring through this cafeteria and to all who could hear it far and wide. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from your sin. And nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from your sin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this song and how it shepherds us of people whose hearts are prone to wander, of people who need to grow in our practice of repentance. And so we ask that you would continue to use your word to strengthen us, to nourish us, to soak us in the good news of the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.